you are the average of your friends. So surround yourself with smarter people. Like I always want to be the dumbest person in the room. When that halo drops, light up my mind. You know it's time. When that halo drops. Welcome to Halo Drop. We have our special guest, Peter Pham. Uh, Peter is the co-founder of a startup studio incubator called Science, which is behind Dollar Shave Club. Science also has a blockchain incubator, Science Blockchain, the first incubator to do an ICO, and one of the only approved SEC Reg D token fundraisers. Love to learn more about that. Um, he's a huge supporter of Liquid Death, the bad boy-themed canned water brand that has probably become Science's buzziest startup. Peter drinks six or more cans a day because he doesn't believe in the municipal tap water situation. So we're going to dig into that. Uh, Peter has been transfixed by COVID since March, telling the, his, all his follow, followers on Twitter, definitely follow him on how to survive this new COVID new world we live in. Uh, he's also made a mission in, in his life to distribute millions of PPE to medical workers and stays up till 3.30 a.m. every morning. Sleep hacks is something we're definitely gonna get into. Uh, Peter's quoted to say, I like to go deep on things, like OCD type deep. I like to learn and I like to fix things and I can get obsessed. So what we're gonna basically end by one of Peter's favorite quotes. You know what you're gonna get with me. You're gonna get an erratic person who's passionate beyond belief. You want me on your team. So I guess first off, you know, we never re realized that, you know, you're a true testament to the American dream. Your father served as a fleet commander to the South Vietnamese Navy during the Vietnam War in 1975 after the fall of Saigon. And the U.S. Navy evacuated your parents and four siblings to California. Walk us through some of the things that, that shaped you as a kid growing up and why did you only apply to one college, which was at UC Irvine? You know, I, I was born in a refugee camp. Grew up, I would guess, considered poor. And you know, my parents came to America with uh, two little hidden leaves of gold sewn into her dress, um, which was worth about two hundred dollars. And you know, our first apartment was this little one-bedroom, seven of us, five kids, in not a great part of town. And I kind of grew up to think about LA. You know, born somewhere else, East Coast refugee camp, moved to California. And, you know, I, in Paul Office is actually this COVID stuff, like I empathize deeply with growing up not having anything and growing up in a community that if you didn't have your parents riding you, you're, there's no reason to go to school, there's no reason to get good grades, and I'm Asian, and so of course I got straight A's, anything less was unacceptable. And you know, we grew up in a heavily, I mean, 99% Hispanic community, and I remember just what it was like if you're around you are the average of your friends. And so my friends happen to be a lot of gangbangers and people who stole stuff, who broke houses, who broke cars. And they get, you end up being surrounded by that unless you get pulled out and get the opportunity to, you know, find yourself, be motivated enough to like get good grades, mostly parents. And then um, in high school, we didn't have a college counselor, not that I knew. And so when we applied for our colleges, at that point, like I applied to one school not knowing anything like about how to do it, didn't have a, a system, didn't know how to cheat the system, but I got a Cal Grant, got a Pell Grant, and went to Irvine as an anteater and was supposed to be a doctor, like again, every good Asian should be. Turns out my memory is really bad. In fact, I got diagnosed with ADHD about five years ago. Part of it was bottom 16 percentile memory which all makes sense now, like it, it all goes back, like, oh, that's why I hated memorizing the Krebs cycle and why I just didn't 
I understood the science and biology and love physics and math, but I couldn't, I hated memorizing things and uh, didn't want to be a doctor. Told my mom she cried and went on and got a minor business management, but I figured what better thing to do is get a major in BS. So got my degree in biology. And I think that shapes me in terms of like growing up, not having anything and just American, you know, classic American dream. Someone's going to give it to me. I'm going to go earn it. I'm going to work my ass off. I had three jobs and you know, paid for college. Got three jobs as a waiter. My first job ever was like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Everyone should always be a waiter. I think being a waiter is like humbling and learning customer service. And uh, yeah, just a lot of jobs. Hustled. Never knew what I was going to do. I remember it's that thing, like you are the average of your friends. So surround yourself with smarter people. Like I always want to be the dumbest person in the room. No, that's awesome. I, I think definitely a lot of us have similar, you know, similar upbringings and definitely can relate to, you know, the fact that you, everyone should be a waiter at least once. I was definitely a waiter in a uh, Indian restaurant. I know uh, Krishna was as well for a hot minute. And I think, uh, you know, we should all spend some time uh, doing that as well. So as you were kind of going through that arc, clearly during college, you realized that, you know, maybe going to med school wasn't the best idea for you uh, or the best sort of you know, path forward, how did you start to like hone in on technology and how did you start to, and what was your big sort of, you know, aha moment? I paid through college. I sold gray market laptops and installed Windows 3.1, that's how old I am, onto computers for like 50 bucks an hour. And just was always, I was the first person in my dorm that had a laptop, right? Like this is old school. And I was always more into the gadget of technology more than the than anything else, which is to this day my it's like a passion. I like I buy every gadget, and it's the fascination of the technology behind it that interested me. So I, I actually straight straight out of college, I did you know I sold computers at Circuit City, which is today's Best Buy for those of you who are don't know what Circuit City is. So I sold computers there. I sold great market laptops. I installed software at 50 bucks an hour, showed people how to use Windows 95, Windows 3.1, NT. All the things I did post-college was enterprise. I actually did like a decade of enterprise hardware, software, racket servers to solid state storage in you know, 99, 2000 to um, one of the first ASPs back then, Citrix servers, CA Unicenter, Lotus Domino. Like I, I know enterprise really well. I was always just, I think, fascinated with technology. Like, how is it that we can do this right now? Three of you on a video screen, monitor. It's fascinating to kind of see where we're, where we're going to be going more than anything else. And our Moore's Law was like always this thing, right? Processing power goes away every 18 months. And I was like, what does that mean? And it's hard to comprehend. You can't go back like the 486 processor. It's hard to comprehend doubling, 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 doubling and where we are today. It's just everything that you can imagine will eventually happen. It turns out. No, that's 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 super inspiring. I, I guess it's one one thing I was reading about you. It says that you basically you joined thirteen different enterprise software companies in nine years doing BD. Do you recommend you know when people graduate? Do you recommend folks do multiple types of different types of jobs? What did you learn about yourself in those nine years? Right, going across those thirteen companies. I don't remember my who I met in college, who my college roommates were. Like I don't remember anybody in the Miami class. So I had zero network from my, my university experience, right? I was laden with debt. And I think if I was to do it again, I would go just intern work at, if you want to be an entrepreneur, right? It's 
sexing today, but like go work at a startup, figure it out, try different things and just be a motivated person who's willing to learn and do whatever it takes. Don't get sucked into titles. That's I think the number one mistake. And I personally, I don't regret things, but I definitely hunted for titles, many jobs. And I missed a lot of opportunities to work at a lot of great places because I was so hung up on the title in that company. Whereas I should have just been, I'll be your chief of staff. I'll be your assistant, right? We're talking, I met the Airbnb guys when there was 13 employees, Pinterest when I was 11, uh, Dropbox when I was 35, Facebook when I was 200, like all just because I was so hungry, I need to be this tight. I need to do Turns out, just get a gig somewhere. I, I think the one of the best invented jobs that is a real job not invented, but like recently in the last probably 10 years is a chief of staff to a CEO of any company. And that just means you're going to shadow this person, you're going to take notes. Eventually, they'll trust you enough to take meetings for them to take notes. You'd be exposed to their network, and it turns out like you get to see the whole business. And like, oh, I like that job, I like that job, I think it'd be great at this. That's what I would do. So yeah, 13 jobs, nine years. I was just hopping around. It's the ADHD. I needed something different constantly. If I walked through all the jobs, I don't even barely remember them to be honest. I'd have to look at LinkedIn. I like to context switch and learn different things, and that's why science for the last 10 years has been so fascinating. Every day. I'm learning something new. I'm going and I go deep. I want to learn everything about it. And actually, I don't even want to do it again. Once I'm done, I don't want, I don't ever want to do a company like that again. I just want to look at it. But yeah, my recommendation, if you're young, find a company, find great people. Most and foremost, like it's finding a team founder, like three people working together forever. Like it's not a job when you love what you do. It's a cheesy thing, but it's so true to me forever to figure that part out. But if, you stay up at night because you want to, because you're researching, because you want to. That's like, that's fun. It's not work anymore, right? So find the role. And what I say is, what's your superpower? Find your superpower. What is it that you know you walk into a room, you're better than anybody else in that room? And that's a cocky statement maybe, but like truly you're like, I'm the best. Turns out you will become the best. And turns out it won't feel like work. And turns out you will actually excel in your career being the best at that one thing because to other people it's a job right it's like ugh, you wake up you're gonna do that thing ugh. for you it's like you love it and so sometimes whether that's a design or product management or marketing or business whatever it is own it love it know what you don't like guess what i don't like managing people hate it guess what i have zero direct reports now happiest i've ever been I only do the things I want to do. And I have my superpower. I know what it is. I really enjoy meeting founders, hearing a story of the company, repositioning that story of what the company should be, where I think it's going to be going, position it so it can raise money, position it to connect with another company for business development, for scale, you know, create velocity by relationships, strategy, etc. That's like any business. I don't care if you're a cat food company or a technology company, that's what I really enjoy and I'm really good at. So then it's not work for me. 
that definitely makes a lot of sense. And, and, and I think the chief of staff ideas uh, is super interesting, um, especially because it just gets you exposed to so many different roles and, and you know, that network, uh, which is awesome. I think one of your early uh, roles, right, you were working with your friend, Alex Welch. Uh, he recruited you to join uh, Photo Bucket. You know, what was uh, what was the pitch and what got you excited to sort of join him there? So we've got Mike Clark, him and I were doing a bunch of enterprise startups together. And he was at NetApp doing storage back in the day. Actually, before AWS, you actually literally had to buy storage. And we had just did a solid state storage company together. And he met Alex and Darren. They're out in Colorado. There was Jocelyn and Luke, two engineers, the two of them, essentially four engineers. Uh, They were buying storage from Mike, like trying to figure out how to scale photo sharing. And uh, Mike calls me and it's like, dude, I found this company. They're like embedding photos onto MySpace, which is back then, there was a social network called MySpace. <laughs> they only allowed you to upload six photos. That's it. Think about that. Think about Facebook, like six photos. That's it. If you want to upload a six photo, you got to delete one. So what photo bucket was, you could upload your photos and then take an embed code, HTML, and paste it and the photo will show up on my space page. So it's before YouTube, before anything that, like this existed. And I remember calling and he said, I'm like, yeah, but I use Ophoto. Again, for those who are listening, you know, photo like Snapfish and upload your photo and get physical prints. And uh, all of a sudden I was like, actually, Blogger, people, there was like a couple uses. It had just been around for a couple months. And I was like, I think, Sharing photos is important. Like this is really interesting, and I actually think that there's a way for me to help grow the business strategically. I can build a reseller channel, which is a, to me an affiliate network. And I, in the enterprise space, I built a reseller channel. And, and so I called up Alex. I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about consumer internet. I'm an internet enterprise, but I just built this resale channel. I'll figure it out. And Mike, you know, Clark vouched for me. And so uh, he was in Colorado, I was in Orange County. We worked from remote before COVID times. And I just figured it out. It turns out it was uh, my biggest biz dev deal. I remember this actually one very few things. When a 17 year old kid <laughs> met him at a Del Taco, he was making uh, back then like 200,000 bucks a month hosting this website. I think it was like myspaceglitters.com. And back then he was using Photobike to host all these like animated GIFs and glitter graphics. And people would, MySpace users would go to MySpace Glitters, I forget the domain, it's one of these and take the embed code to the MySpace and he would put Google AdWords on his website. So he's getting millions of visitors making money in Google AdWords with zero hosting cost. And I was, I met with him and I said, you know what? I don't want to turn it off, but like, you know, what do we get for this? And I ended up having my engineer, Jocelyn, I had her create this thing I called the J widget. It was an iframe, allowed you to create a photo account on his website, upload photos, get the embed and then get the href back to us. And that just, 57 was like back down like 70,000 new users a day from that thing. And it was all of a sudden it's like, oh, got it. And I just kept pounding out this whole network of sites that to grow the, the user base. So, well, I figured it out. It's oh, amazing. You know, help us sort of understand what the mindset shift uh, during Photo Bucket or when the seeds started getting planted for Bill Shrink and just how that all came about. And, and, and what was like the moment where you're like, you know, I'm, I'm committing everything to this, all my energy into this one thing? Well, Photobuck was easy because I remember that one. The day YouTube sold to Google, 
I'm sitting in the conference room, TechCrunch article, I pull up the laptop to Alex and like, $1.6 billion. Like, I think it's time we should try to sell this company. And he looks at me and says, all right, well, you think you can sell it, try. <laughs> so, so I then at that point hustled. I like chased down the head of corp dev at IEC, Karen Norman, at an event. I'm heading up, as a movie, I'm heading up the escalator at the uh, Mandarin Oriental Hotel. She's coming down and I see her, the name badge is IEC, Karen Norman. I was like, I got a picture. I run up the escalator, I run down the escalator, I grab her and I pitch her photo bucket. She grabs her partner there, pitch them. Two weeks later, I'm pitching Barry Diller, which then kicked off getting MySpace in the mix and Fox News Corp because they think they're going to buy it and just created this uh, acquisition moment, in which then My, News Corp, MySpace bought us for $300 million. So I was down in LA and we did photo bucket, opened up the office in Palo Alto and we sold it. MySpace was actually in Beverly Hills. I moved back down. So I spent a year in the Bay Area, then back in Beverly Hills. Stayed like nine months, two year or now. I just couldn't do it. Had a badge, nothing was getting done. I just felt like I just stir crazy. So I got a call from James Chan, who was at Bessemer Ventures, now at Bloomberg. And they were incubating a company with Schwark and Samir. And they're like, we need to get a CEO. There's like two engineers and trying to figure out what we're going to build. You know, what can you want to incubate? I'm like, sure. Moved up. Became co-founder and CEO, Bill Shrank, and we built that out. Stayed for about two years, and I think we started shifting towards this enterprise business. And I was like, now, I did a deal with T-Mobile that got us a NBA playoff commercials for free that were running Bill Shrank ads with Catherine and Zeta-Jones. We got us a million users, and I was like, that's the stuff I, that's the magic stuff I like to pull out of my butt, basically. And I just don't want to do enterprise. So I left, figured out what I wanted to do, was an EIR and venture, same thing, like, go check it out. Didn't want to do venture, traditional, like, Trinity Ventures I love, Gus Ty has been a mentor to me. Um, but I didn't want to sit around a big table with a lot of people making, like, decisions on when we should invest. Wanted to go work at a bunch of different startups, talk to a ton of them, and then uh, co-founded a company called Color. That didn't work out. Raised $41 million, which back then was a lot of money. Today, not so much. That flamed out. And uh, Mike and I have known each other for a long time. Mike Jones, my co-founder in Science, And we had talked about this Idea Lab incubator thing, but on the west side, meaning if you know LA, Idea Lab's in Pasadena and it's hot as hell. Uh, west side to me is west of Sepulveda, which is the beach. And the entire time we wanted to do, we were never unemployed at the same time. So, right, he was at MySpace, and then when I was up, then I was at Bill Shank. It was just never at the same time not doing something. And then it just happened to happen we were both not doing anything. And it's like, remember that thing? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And I moved back to LA. So I uh, spent seven years in the Bay Area, and I learned a lot, built a great network, but I think people thought it was insane to move down here in LA. It's been 10 years now. And, you know, clearly the market's here. That's amazing. But before we get into science, um, I guess if, if you had to go back to color, what would you have done differently just for other entrepreneurs? Because to your point, that, that was a big number back then. Uh, and even quite frankly, even now it's a big number. I, I guess what would you have done differently? To, and what would you give advice to people? Ease up on the hubris, for sure. Too cocky to understand the ramifications of raising a lot of money in a high valuation with no products that 
the expectations and like, oh, of course it'll be easy. Of course it, it, it will be love. Of course it's going to work. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> I, I think for me, ultimately, and I left after about less than a year, actually, is if you're going to do a company and have a co-founder, we were shot, Bill and I were shotgun wedding. Two people introduced us and it was just like, we quote unquote fell in love, got married, right? As co-founders within like weeks, like we met like within a week, yeah, let's do And I think that was a very, um, that didn't work out. Him and I did not, there was just not that, that gel. We weren't on the same wavelength. We disagreed on things. And I think there's ultimately means there's no trust. And looking back, like number one thing, if you're going to co-found this company with somebody, you better, you know, you got to know. Because the highs are highs and the lows are low. And if you don't know somebody, you don't know how they're going to react when that snake bites them. Things happen. And when they happen, you need to know how they're going to react and if they're going to have your back. And so, you know, I've been friends with Mike for five years. And we knew each other. It was a relationship. And so I knew I could trust them. And to this day, it's been 10 years. Like, there's not a day, there's never been a moment I'm 100% trust my co-founders. Like, for however small or big it is, you want to take things off your plates that are wasting brain cells and energy and emotions. One of them, who you're building it with and why are they like, like the, the moment when something happens, you know, like, did they screw me? The answer is no, if you know them, but if you don't, all of a sudden you, these things creep into your mind of doubt that will eventually gnaw at and uh, deteriorate the business. So those are some of the lessons. I think colors, it was wrong timing, right product. If you pull up like Snapchat maps now, that's basically color to some degree. Like I want to see what's going on. I want to see what all those photos. And then this idea that at some point, which just still hasn't happened, Google Photos is probably the closest. It's like, why is it when I'm around you three and I know as I hang out with you get three and if all three are friends and if we took photos, they should just automatically share with the between us, right? Like you build this social network based on who you're around, who you take photos with. And this, it was an inherent idea that eventually I think will happen. There's too many sensors, there's too many devices, there's too much knowledge. But it probably won't now because of all the privacy policies. It definitely should happen with all the tech today, but it probably won't happen because of all the privacy issues, i.e. today, my phone, where I'm at, how often I'm next to you, how often I text you, how often I email you, what we talk about, right? The language we use when we chat with each other, how we physically each other, how often we call each other. It should literally define our friendship and how often you should be my feed and how often if I take photos of how, what I should automatically share with you. If you're searching for restaurants and food, like all this data is there. We all know this, but unfortunately in a weird way, it's not going to happen. We're going backwards. Totally agree on on that and the, the making sure you have a strong uh, founding team because then you can really pretty much do anything, right? If you if you are all on the same page, I, I guess sort of fast forwarding past color and you're like the the ultimate networker and and not to mention dancing machine with your traveling speaker and backpack um, and and water, but as you uh, you know went into the next chapter of your life and you started you know, with you sort of attending the lobby conference and meeting Mike Jones and, you know, wanting to, you know, start a version of Bill Gross's Idea Lab. You know, you co-founded Science uh, with a $10 million raise from Eric Schmidt and $30 million from Hearst. Um, so for creating a newer concept, what were the levers that you really used to build confidence with your original investors? That's a good question. I, I think that the initial thesis was we were all, we'd all been angel investors. We'd all done a bunch of stars. And in all of it, 
we make mistakes and we, uh, we have wins and there's false positives and false negatives, all these learnings. And as a serial entrepreneur, it's unfortunate because it's serial. It's like one, then in two years, another, and then another five years, like it's right. So can we use all this collective knowledge and do a lot at once, help founders not make as many mistakes on day zero through one, um, get them further along between zero and one without burning as much cash, right? Essentially, all, it's all things that we know. Don't do that. Yes, do that. No, that's a waste of time. That's a waste of money. Like all these decisions we all know as founders. How do you apply that to a lot of companies? And that's the basis of science, right? That was the original pitch. It's like, look, we, as an angel investor, writing a check means nothing because like all of a sudden they're gone. Like you just like, you write a check, they ask you a couple questions, maybe at the beginning, and then years later, you're going to get paperwork that says you've lost all your money or you made money. And to me, at some point, I was like, well, I'd rather just buy Amazon stock if like, I'm going to pick like, things. Like, I, I'm going to get nothing out of it other than maybe a return or not a return, but I really want to learn. And also, if, I have, if we have all this knowledge, it's wasted. Think about all the things that you know. It just feels like a waste to have gone through all this pain to learn something and all this way and not feel applied again, right? I think that was the original pitch. Like, we're a bunch of smart people. I think we can help founders get from point A to point B much, much faster. We know how to iterate. We know how to calculate. We know how to grow. We have no consumer. We know, and being in LA, you're surrounded with customer acquisition, arbitrage, SEO, SEM back then. Who knew the last decade would usher basically new marketing channels every six months, <laughs> right? It used to be like SEO, SEM for like a decade. And then YouTube, Facebook, man, good three, four year run. And then Instagram and then Snapchat and then TikTok and then podcasting. And there's something every six months of like, oh, there's an audience on Nextdoor. Oh yeah, you can kind of use Reddit and you can use Clubhouse. It's all these things are coming at you now. And how do you digest it and figure out which one's best and how to build community, you know? That's a lot to digest and having experience and applying and understanding at scale for us is what we do. So like we can, you know, we're pretty damn good at understanding what is a brand, Liquid Death, Dollar Shave Club, what is the marketplace, like Dog Vacate, and what's happening in the App Store, Wishbone and Yarn, and Prey, and how to get scale, how to make money, and not spend all the venture money that you took in and how do you, you know, come up the other end. So it's still to this day that hasn't changed, turns out. And every day we get to apply the knowledge and I think being close to all these companies, like you know, with daily dashboards, all the companies I see the data of, and seeing the earliest ones from the earliest ideas to the ones that are scaling and spending hundreds of thousands and doing millions of revenue, there's just this constant connectivity between them. No matter how small you are, no matter how big you are, it's kind of the same. Things that creep up, what's working, what's not, and just sharing that knowledge is super fun across the portfolio. I think startup studios, which is what we are, allows an investor like us as well to underwrite an investment much much different than others right so at the end of the day i now have a 75 million dollar fund where we have a new fund coming and we take lp money we invest in companies but instead of like as now i guess this last year a one zoom meeting and an uncapped note <laughs> right it's like oh well you've been working with this founder for like six months nine months a year right? like 
you know, she or he's like a pain in the ass over here, but like really good about this. And you know, oh yeah, that pivot point, the number that goes up to here, that's why the number went down here. That's why yeah, I remember that. Oh, what's and you have this. At the end of the day, you just have a better sense when you're looking at a deal whether or not you should put money in it. And then once you invest, you still have impact. It's like, don't do that. Try this. That's a terrible idea. Do that. Try, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Keep scratching a little bit harder. And if you start seeing this, it's real. If you start seeing this, it's not. And and that's uh, it's awesome. I and mean, finding founders that, particularly I think now, finding founders that in a way we see it and eventually they become the founder that people talk about is my favorite thing. There was an article last week. Six, I was ready, helping raising money for nine companies at once. So I, it's never happened before, but six were female founders, right? And uh, we look back and like, oh, it turns out like 60 plus percent of our dollars actually of the fund, not just investment, like literally like $75 million, 68-ish, I guess, exactly, was like all to like underrepresented founders. Like, you know, we have a lot of black founders, a lot of female founders, and we just have the receipts. And we, I don't think being in LA, it's a little different from being Bay Area. Like, I don't know where anyone went to college. I doubt anyone went to Stanford. I'm pretty damn sure. You know, we just have a collection of people who hustle their asses off and are smart. And if you give them a chance, they become the thing that we all know if you give them an opportunity, right? So Mike Dubin, trust me, when we first met him, he isn't who he is today, right? Aaron, like all our founders, eventually, they just, as you are all our founders, when you were young, you probably wouldn't have hired yourself. Or at least you wouldn't give yourself millions of dollars and say, you're worth $10 million, go forth, young one. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I guess that's a good that's a good sort of segue into like what are those two or three qualities that you're looking for? Like when you when you meet the founder, you know, especially given in COVID times, it's kind of like, hey, it's one one Zoom meeting. How are you qualifying those individuals? For us, it's are you willing to learn? Right? Will you take arts? Will you adapt. That's like I always thought this is your company. I'm not your boss. You don't report to me, but like if you partner with us, there's a tremendous amount of equity that went on this, this side. And it behooves you to kind of get value out of that. And you did this because you think we're you know what we're doing. So trust us when we say try these things. And I think founders that are obviously be curious and question everything, but realize that they don't know anything, but the ones that can like learn quickly and adjust, take off, right? And I'm looking for the people who are strong-willed, but not too stubborn that they think they know it all. Like that's, there's this edge I found, like, you know, you gotta have vision, you gotta be obsessed. Like, I think this is going to exist. I'm right that this is, okay, fine. But if, if it's too much, then it's like, well, you should try this. Oh no, I know what I'm doing. But that's what I don't, we, we want this balance between I think I know I'm right, this is gonna exist, but I'm willing to listen and I want help and I wanna surround myself with smart people. And eventually, they always tell every CEO, your job is to replace yourself. Like hire, why are you doing finance? Hire somebody who's better than you. Operations, HR, all these functions, product. Like just get somebody smarter than you and eventually you'll actually have to more time thinking about the future of the company versus doing the future of the company and letting your team kind of succeed. And so, I think that innate, if you look at every great leader, the phenomenal team, because I think they set aside the ego a little bit to say there might be somebody smarter and better and I can learn from that. Now, they still need to make the ultimate call, right, which is the hard part, and to determine whether or not someone has good judgment on a business. You don't know that until, I'd say, almost a year into it. Totally. You recently hosted a Sunset Cruise in Miami. 
Um, so first of all, how's the Miami tech scene? Uh, and then would you move there completely? And how do you compare Miami to LA, Austin, and the Bay Area? So one, it's like a, a dream state because you know, being in LA and, and having COVID changes everything. And I think it's an interesting moment in time that probably couldn't have been recreated ever again, which is emotionally people in New York, LA, San Francisco feel trapped, lockdowns, et cetera. Miami, open since August. People going out, dinner, it's like, and all of a sudden, you also have this vortex of influencers in tech, right? And money, real money, like big funds go and put a stake in the ground. Um, Jack Abraham, Shervin, Keith Robois, like this is Peter Thiel, like this is money and real money and big entrepreneurs and VCs staking a flag and saying, this is a place and we're gonna put a mom money into it. And then you have everyone visiting temporary living there from New York and LASF because again, they've wanted to kind of not be in lockdown states. And the weather was nice, right? If you notice it didn't happen July or August, it started happening like late September. And then you have this mayor uh, who gets it. Holy moly, he gets it. Like, in fact, right before we got on the line, uh, Mayor Francisco Suarez, I had three friends, entrepreneurs heading to, from New York to Miami, I tweeted, oh, you got to meet them. Within a minute, he replied, he DM'd them. I'm like, come on, are you kidding me? Right? Like, you won't get that type of response. Who genuinely wants and is recruiting entrepreneurs, investors, and understanding, like, it's a decade investment. And if you do it and you make it friendly, you want inviting, it's going to happen. And I think that is going to help Miami propel what I felt when I moved to L.A. 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. There was nothing here. Like when I say nothing, it was not to insult those that were here. Like it was very little infrastructure, very few funds, very few entrepreneurs, very few startups. They were here, but nobody knew about them, I guess. was the, There weren't any of the big VC funds in the Bay Area, right? Whereas Miami immediately have Keith, Founders Fund, Atomic. Like they have multi-hundred million dollar funds that all have multi-billion dollar company exits behind it, kind of coming in and saying, we're going to, Put a lot of money to work and Jason Horowitz, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas LA, we didn't have that. We had a handful of funds here in LA. They were small. Nobody knew who they were. All the Bay Area funds didn't have a lot of investments down here. And it took us year one, two, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, but Riot Games, oh, I didn't know Riot Games was backed by a benchmark. Like you know, people didn't know these things. And Dollar Shape Club, actually, year four and a half for us, was the first billion dollar exit in LA in for venture, which is kind of crazy. Like, and that was like a trigger, like, wait a minute. Oh, that happens. Google's office was starting to expand. Facebook's office expand. Fast forward, Snapchat a year later, it's like, oh, Snapchat's going to be a thing, right? And Evan Spiegel recruited tremendous talent down here. And so in a way there became this big tech company backstop for engineers that you might hire talent and marketing, whatever, because you're trying to recruit these amazing people from the Bay Area. Like, well, if I come to the startup and it doesn't work out, then what? Well, now all of a sudden, well, if it doesn't work out, I can go work at Snapchat, right? They'll hire me because I'm a tier one engineer. All right, maybe Dollar Shave. There'll be other Facebook's office and Google's office and all. And I think that was really a, a turning point for LA. And then, you know, we have Ring ex exited. You have Riot worth billions of billions of dollars down here in LA. And you have now constantly honey just exit with $4 billion. A lot of companies. Dave is located down here. 
now it's a thing, right? And clearly every fund in the Bay Area has investment down here in LA. Some people park the offices down here. There's a ton of money flowing. There's funds itself in LA. There's great ones. There's great investors. So the ecosystem's complete, still, you know, but still growing. Miami skipped six years. No, oh, sorry, skipped four years. It's like LA six years ago, where, oh, there's actually a lot of really good startups. They relocated. They didn't start in Miami. A couple of them relocated. I'm sure I don't want to offend anybody startups that started in Miami. I don't know them all. But I'm sure there's some big ones. But there's also a lot of real second-time entrepreneur founders starting businesses out there. There's a lot of VCs. In fact, when I was down there, I ended up creating a – there's so many people that I knew down there. I, I started a Google spreadsheet. And the Google spreadsheet is called Who's in Miami. I'm looking at it right now. It is 60 plus deep at this point of people I know, which is a lot. And all tech, right? And you have people move from Chicago, like George Busis, uh, Stephen Galanis from um, Cameo. There's a lot happening in Miami when you have those type of companies now saying, this is where I'm at. And Peter Rahal, founder of RX Bar. You have a lot of folks moving out there now, including the founders of Honey. And a lot of it is uh, for California. I think that some of it is taxes because there is a lot of uh, questions of what's going to happen. And I think a lot of San Francisco, which I hate to offend people, but yeah, I actually don't care. It's it's become Gotham City up there. Right? Like, nobody feels safe. Fair enough. Before we move into uh, our, our favorite rapid fire questions, uh, you know, sort of one last one question to, to close some things up. You uh, you just launched a um, a $270 million SPAC to focus on D to C. 310. Oh, 310, 310, apologies. 310 uh, to focus on. Uh, no, I mean, you know, size doesn't matter. Just, just, just yeah. <laughs> it always matters. Um, you know, to essentially focus on D to C, mobile, entertainment. What's the ideal company that you're looking for? And, you know, how, what are your thoughts and excitement around just getting exposure to, to the retail investor? It's interesting. Five, six years ago, we actually looked at, back then it was reverse mergers. Now it's really called SPACs, but the same thing. We've looked at the vehicles. It's a, I think it's a, it's a financial instrument from on the other end of the spectrum. And in a lot of ways, it replaces the SoftBank D-Round. For us, it's core to our brand and what we know and who's involved with our SPACs. So we have Jen Rubio, founder of Away, Jeff Curl, founder of Stance. We have Science. If you look at our portfolio for the last decade, you know, we're really good at consumer. If you are a company that tries to attract customers and does better, if more people know about your product or service, can we increase the average order value? Can we decrease the customer acquisition costs? Can we increase the lifetime value? Can we decrease the churn? Any of the businesses that essentially what we call consumer, you know, your reliance on growth through getting more consumers to discover, use, pay for your product, that's uh, what we're looking for. And we want to find something that we can add value and scale because I think that what's happened is as companies at year what, five, seven, 10, they're a bit long in the tooth on their ways, right? They kind of, they got to where they got probably setting their marketing strategy maybe three years ago, two years ago. And as you guys know, marketing changes so fast and they're probably not looking at the newest things because it's opportunity cost and which one's going to be worth time. I think we have a really good eye on what's 
can scale and help them. But yeah, across all three categories for us, it's mobile, marketplaces, and consumer brands and products. Those are the type of companies we're looking for. And I think we can be helpful. Thanks, Peter. Now, now we're starting the uh, this final chapter in our segment. It's the rapid fire. So this is, this is the exciting part. Sunil, want to kick us off? Sure. You know, really quickly, what's one thing you wish you had known before you began your career? I wish I was more aware of my ego. I should just spend more time with smarter people and take any job no matter the title, no matter the pay, of course, that's very 1%, like something that pays my bills, right? Like that I can just be around smarter people and learn. Like I, be quick, but don't hurry, you know what I'm saying? I think we all hurry our whole career for whatever reason, to get the title, to get the job, to get the money, to get the quote unquote success. None of it fucking matters. Like none of it matters actually turns out. And it's like how you got there matters. And if you just were a little bit more patient, and surround yourself with smart people and like be patient in that position for a little bit and find the thing. I mean, I would have got where I was a lot faster, but again, it's not like I'm complaining. Thanks. Um, who are the three people who have been the most influential to you? Gus Tai, for sure. Uh, he was the first Asian investor I could find and then became friends with, became a mentor, which it's important because I think in most of like, you want to find somebody looks like you, thinks that you have a meta way, right? And he was always this very grounding person, much calmer than me and very erratic. Yeah, definitely one person. Nice. Um, what do you uh, spend a silly amount of money on? That's funny. I actually don't have, it's, I guess, gadgets and tech. Like, and it's not even silly. It's just it's like a couple hundred bucks here and there. I'm just like, whatever I see and buy, like I bought my obsession with Insta360 uh, Insta camera, dude, bananas technology. They just announced a new camera, so I ordered it. I literally have like just a lot of tech. I just bought um, a silent disco headset set. That was awesome because you should always have a set. Anything Bluetooth speakers, I buy like any, I just buy a lot of gadgets. What are you curious about right now? What's sort of taking up a lot of your mind share? Every night, so this is goes back to my like, OCD, ADHD stuff like random tab will open up and I'll just like go hours long into a topic. And what was it this week? Oh, I think I want to finally like learn how to fly to get a pilot's lesson. But also then I start looking into like, wow, software is horrible. And like, what's the ambition there? And where's the future of flight? And like, imagine at some point there's going to be drones that fly through. How is that not a thing? That's going to be the future. And then you, that opens up the whole window of like motors and batteries and, and power and, and logistics and the cityscape and how the delivery is going to happen. And so it's like this wormhole opens up for me. So I've just been totally fascinated about like city architecture, transportation, flights, delivery, and human transportation. So for that, that was this week, but it always changes. Given how much is currently on your plate, how do you manage your time? Um, what do you what do you know what to focus on every day, and what's kind of your daily routine? And how do you how do you have work life balance? Again, I love what I do, so there's no like, there's no such thing. Monday.